Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. We seek adventures that take our breath away. And we travel with the United Explorer card. Join us and become an explorer. Then, for a limited time, you'll earn up to 70,000 bonus miles, as well as double the miles on all United purchases and on dining and hotel stays. Plus, you always get a free checked bag on every United flight. Terms apply. Visit theexplorercard.com to apply today. Summer happens at Speedway because everything you need for summer happens at Speedway. Like drinks, drinks happen. The freshly brewed drink, the splashed over ice drink, the wake you up drink, the cool you off drink, the make your brain hurt for a minute drink. All poured however you want them, whenever you want them, all summer long. So on every hot day, you have something cold to sip. Speedway, summer happens here. And now, get any size fountain or speedy freeze for just 99 cents. Excludes maximum. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world. You're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online, online. with Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander. Hi everyone, yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on our flagship station, WMCK.FM, McKeesport, PA. WMCK.FM, 107.5, WLDJ, Newcastle, HOFMRadio.com, and also on 1620 AM, Huntington Community Radio, Huntington, PA. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m., Mixtape Radio International, Monday nights at 10, Awakens.eu, noon on Tuesday, Steel FM. SteelFM.org, Fridays at 2 in the afternoon, WWSX Radio 99.1, Radio Rehoboth, Rehoboth, Delaware, Tuesdays at 6 p.m., Orca Radio at orcaradio.coffeecup.com, Owensburg, Kentucky, and that is on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m., Parkway 106 at parkway106.com, Pittsburgh, PA, and of course, we are streaming online at iTalkNet in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. Well, right now I have someone calling in, and we're going to take the phone call right now, and we're going to say, hi, how are you doing this evening? Well, I'm doing really well, Bill. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, for, for my audience, which I did not get a chance to prep you guys on this because we just started about a minute ago, I have been looking no forward problem. to this interview because I am just a few, you and I are about the same age. And mm-hmm. I grew up in the 80s. You were performing in the mm-hmm. 80s. And whenever uh, someone got a hold of me about talking to you, I was so excited. And by the way, everyone, I'm on the phone right now with Diane Franklin, who has been in some of the best teenage movies of the 80s that you could ever imagine, like The Last American Virgin and one of my favorites, Mm -hmm. Better Off Dead, which she played. Nancy Bucket. She played Monique, the French exchange student. And I was going to ask you, that movie 
and and before before I go into what we're here to talk about tonight, that movie had a lot mm-hmm. of big actors. Maybe not at that time, but what they turned into later on. Not only actors, mm-hmm. but people that went on to writing, producing, voiceover work, everything. It was amazing the cast that you work with in that film. Right. I mean, so this is a. I'm so uh, excited that you brought this up because I don't. I don't think anyone's actually brought that that subject up. You're right. That movie was the the place where it all sort of. We were all working, but it influenced American culture in such a huge way, because everybody went off and like, oh my gosh, um, uh, Danny Schneider, uh, Dan Schneider who played Reggie. He wound up be, uh, running um, Schneider's Bakery, creating Schneider's Bakery, which actually um, was uh, Zoe 101 and um, Drake and Josh and The Amanda Show. And it, I mean, iCarly, like all of those were his shows. And that comedy stemmed from Better Off Dead. It, where which is that amazing. That wasn't happening. Which, which is... Like, that didn't happen before. And, yeah, and Savage actually wound up working for... Uh, for Dan later on, which is hilarious too. So um, everybody stay close. And then, oh my goodness! I mean, so merci. I love this film. It is very nice. Uh, and uh, I just want to talk like this because in case you haven't seen the film, I talk like this in the film. So don't get confused. Well, the, all right. The, the sad thing is, I'm going through it, and I, like I said, you and I are about the same age, and I was a freshman in freshman going into my sophomore years in college when this came out. And I'll be honest, I'll be honest with you, I had a crush on the French exchange student, and I'm looking at this going, wait a minute, I remember her. Oh my goodness, I'm embarrassed now. (laughs) No, no, and you know what, Uh, Bill, I have to tell you, this is really cool, because I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm glad you mentioned this film, because I'm actually writing a book about it. Oh, really? It's my third book, and it is a tribute to Better Off Dead, and so you are not the only one who loved that film, there are people who who loved it and i have to say you know it is a very boutique film like you know it's sort of a it's a word of mouth film and i'm yes. sure even when you went to college you know, better off did when it first came out people didn't get it they right. were like that's just a silly movie they just it wasn't the time but what happened was you know that film it went into colleges and then people would tell their friends and then it was like you know you worked all day at school like you were like you know you had all these serious subjects you're like at night i just want to have fun and i want to watch a film that makes me laugh and better off dead was um, there was, I mean, there's claymation in it. There's yes. animation. Uh, there's a realism uh, in in the the core of it. The kids, I think, everybody can identify with. Even today, I mean, that's the shock uh, when I found out that you know parents were passing this down to their next yes. generation kids. I'm like, well, I've I've got to write this book. So <laughs> people should stay in touch with me to find out well, more I'll, about I'm it. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> unfortunately, last week we lost Eddie Van Halen. And Van oh, Halen has an animated scene in the movie yeah. at at, at yes. the Burger Place. And I'm going... I, Savage. You all loved him. Yeah. I forgot all about that. And then the other line... You know, the director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other line in the movie that everybody remembers is the paper boy and chasing uh, Lance, I want my $2. And going all through yes. all through the community, down the ski slopes and everything. I remember using that as a running joke for years. And then, of course... Oh, the lines in that film. The I, lines in that film have been the most quotable lines. People have told me they say, you know, I want my $2. And um, just there's just so many. Uh, and yes, and, and Curtis Armstrong, who played 
uh, who was actually Booger in uh, yes. Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. He was the one who got these great lines. I mean, he just <laughs> he just nailed them. Um, so I don't know if there was any other ones you said, but well, like, I want my two dollars, and he, you know, go that way really fast if something gets me away. Turn. Um, <laughs> And and the other thing was too is that the two the two Asian gentlemen the one who couldn't speak English the other one that learned English by uh, imitating the Wild World of Sports and and Howard Cosell <laughs> going yes. you don't see that today I mean no now okay those of you who don't know who Howard Cosell is it doesn't matter <laughs> You're right. when you listen to it and you watch it you will just it's funny die laughing yeah. it is so funny. And and so, I, 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 I I'm so sorry because I sound I sound more like a fan than someone that's supposed to be interviewing you. But when I realized that you were going to be on, I went back through stuff and I'm going, you got to be kidding me! And then I went through and looked at all your movies that you were in in the '80s. You did Amityville Horror Two: The Possession, the right. Last American mm-hmm. Version, which is another great film with an awesome soundtrack. Second time lucky. Terror Vision, mm-hmm. How I Got Into College, and of course, you played Princess Joanna in Bill and Ted's uh, Excellent Adventure. I, sh- I shall tell you that it's actually supposed to be Princess Elizabeth. They got it wrong in the credits. <laughs> but I will tell you I was a princess. You got that right. But um, yes, no, um, and I appreciate you saying that because my acting experience... Um, uh, you know, with better after. First of all, thank you for saying that because I never take for granted that people even remember me from my films. So thank you for being, you know, like having me being your crush or your girl. Like I mean, that's such an honor. Seriously, like what? Like that's lovely. So thank you for that. And uh, also, yeah, the other films I've done. I think what's really exciting is when I was acting. You know, I did so many different types of roles that people often looked at my work and went, "Wait, that's the same." girl yeah. who did that so i think that's really cool that you mentioned that you know the i had done i most people you know um i never had a publicist at the time so even though like diane franklin is a very kind of simple name to remember um it's not um you had to you know it was sort of like word of mouth again you know and so now i just now like over the past you know couple of years i've been doing more interviews because i felt like okay well this is the time you know and people did remember me i was like okay so very fun what i think is interesting in listening to you talk your voice hasn't aged a bit and you you still sound the way you did of course without the accent because how you were able to do french through the whole thing in the one and then do an english accent through bill and ted through the whole time you were on camera which is amazing because that takes a lot of talent to be able to do that oh Thank you. And, uh, you know, then uh, I also did, um, a, well, I had a part of a um, Yugoslavian girl in the Charles in Charge, right? Yeah. So uh, yes. And I was doing a German accent, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't exist uh, kind of uh, German. But anyway, it was, uh, I, anyway, but thank you so much. I love dialects. And, um, yeah, and I did like a southern accent in, uh, um, uh, gosh, Dallas, the early years. And, um like a New York accent and like a New York, I just actually did a film called Amityville murders that just came out. That's out now uh, where I play. I mean, you talked about Amityville too, and I, right. I played the daughter in the film. Well, the, uh, you know, you're talking about rem- memories and the director who loved Amityville Two, the possession with me in it, playing the daughter never forgot me in that film. And when mm-hmm. he became an adult and he became a writer director, he hired me to play the mother in his new film. And so what it is, is Amityville murders is about, 
the, it's the same story basically, but now I have the, I'm playing the mom. So there is no other actress who's ever played the mother and the daughter in the same story. So, I mean, that's another thing that's on stars right now, but the whole idea of playing all these different characters and, and being remembered, you know, just, I just, uh, that's just so wonderful. I, I'm like really thrilled, especially during this COVID time. Like, yes. To be well, doing these interviews and bring happiness to people. That, that was, I was going to ask you because we've been in a quarantine or a, uh, a stay at home situation over yeah. the last eight months. Have you noticed that, oh like gosh. you said, people are finding these movies again, especially the core movies you did in the eighties and are sharing them with their kids. And the other thing we noticed in our area, and I unfortunately I haven't mm-hmm. noticed if yours did, is the drive-ins opened back up again and they started playing Not these that. classic films. And it's like, wait oh. a minute, I can relive my childhood in my 50s. This is kind of cool. You nailed it. That is exactly what is happening. And thank goodness, I love drive-ins. And if you were to tell me, you know, back in the 80s that this would be happening, that people yes. would be watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures in the drive-in today, I would say, are you, that can't be, That what are you talking about? I mean, first of all, we're all on the internet anyway, so right. where are drive-ins happening? And so the COVID thing is obviously just horrific and terrible. But then within that, you know, if we can look and find the uh, positive or the good things and slow down a little bit and, you know, bond with each other, like, you know, families going to the drive-in and watching, you know, movies that, you know, they, they want to pass to their kids. What a great way to bond. And, you know, what a great way to live, relive, like you said, you know, our childhood innocence and teens and just, it's, it's so, it's totally excellent, I have to tell you. Yeah, well, because <laughs> we noticed here at my local drive, and it's less than 10 miles down the road from where I'm at, they ran the new Bill mm-hmm. and Ted um, Excellent Adventure 2, but they also ran the first one, prior to it so they could put it in context because a lot of these teenagers that heard right. that this is a cult film had to understand what it was all about to begin with so you had to get the precursor yeah. to show it and have you noticed any more interaction uh, with people trying to find who you are because you played a part in this movie yeah oh yes um that was another thing um you know uh my uh, popularity and my notoriety went way up. Uh, first of all, because of, you know, obviously Bill and Ted is, has become like, it's obviously like a, a thing that was really important. That film, Bill and Ted's 3, was so important for it to come out now. And it really had its audience because of the pandemic. Right. Um, but yes, every because it's a sequel, they go back to the first one. And um, the first one is really special because it also can be played in schools. So yes. the first thing I found out was that, you know, a lot of teachers love Bill and Ted's because it promoted history and it promoted, um, you know, re, you know, going back in history and, and looking things up and sort of sort of thinking in terms of, you know, we're people, we're real characters, you know, and, you know, and uh, so the first one played everybody really straight. And uh, uh, I was just really fortunate to get into it. And we were all hoping that we'd be in the Bill and Ted two and three. But, you know, for whatever reason, that's their deal of what they decided but we uh, the other princess and i um kimberly cates uh had a great time and and uh, we just loved making the film and keanu and alex were so wonderful so funny and um just a just a dream to work with just a dream so when you when you started acting how old were you well 
I started, I wanted to start when I was four. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to. Literally, I was the TV generation. I was raised with TV. I wasn't, my parents didn't take me to the theater. Um, so I just was one of those kids who was like, I really want to be on TV. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, I mean, I have more detail of this in my book. I have a book online, if you look up Diane Franklin book, um, and uh, it's the excellent adventures of the last American French exchange babe of the 80s. So just look up Diane Franklin book. It's easier. You'll never remember the title. It's too long. But um, I started actually professionally acting when I was 10 because I started uh, because I never gave up. I mean, literally, when I was four, like I would sing and dance around the house. And I just uh, was acting. But I wasn't. Um, like a showy kid, I was a kid that just loved the creativity. I was, I was always creating. So that's what happened. And I guess my eventually, my you know, my parents sort of, they were like, you know, German immigrants. They were like, what do we do this as kids? You know, I don't know. <laughs> so so um, they were like, okay, like you know, they. I just didn't give up, and I, I think that I because I kept showing my interest, my parents eventually broke down and went, okay, yeah, okay, let's find something. So. I started professionally modeling uh, at 10, did that for a couple of years, and then uh, moved on to commercials. Okay. And then I went and did voiceovers for radio and advertisements. Um, I did uh, fashion shows and catalog work, and I did, um, and then I did a, a play at the McCarter Theater with Joe Beth Williams. I don't know if you know who Oh, she yes, is. I do, yes. Um, she, right? Joe Beth Williams played my sister in a play... Um, and I was 15 years old at the McCarter Theater, which is a big theater in New Jersey. Um, I think uh, Joe Beth Williams was in Poltergeist. Yes. Am I wrong? Mm -hmm. or... Yes, she was in Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Okay. And then, okay, and then, um, and then I was in a soap opera as the world turns. And but then my first film job, which was a complete fluke of the, how it happened, was The Last American Virgin. Okay. And and that film, actually, by the way, uh, was brought on my second book, which was I got Last American Virgin because when I auditioned, I actually almost didn't go for it. I almost did not go for the audition because, I mean, the title. I was like, oh, what's yes. this title? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even at that, but I was 19 years old and I had been working for nine years trying to get work in the entertainment business as a, you know, a role. And I was like kind of I was not quite best friend looking I, I couldn't get roles as a best friend and I wasn't um I didn't have uh any connections and I didn't have a name so how do you get a lead in a film and it was a film that uh when I got it there I was uh, it was to play a dream girl and I was like oh my goodness like I, I'm not the dream girl they're gonna pick somebody who looked like Farrah Fawcett or like you know um you know just somebody blonde and long beautiful hair just like a whole different ball game and i had dark curly hair and i met the um producers and the director and they went nope she's it that's that you're the one and i was so shocked because my look was not considered beautiful at the time and in, in 1980 curly dark curly hair was would have been you know considered frizzy or you know bushy or something so Last American Virgin was the first time that a curly, dark curly hair look was considered beautiful. And that was because the director and the producers were um, European. Oh, okay. And they saw that as beautiful because it was not, it was all the Farrah Fawcett look. It was a long, blonde curly hair that was considered American, you know, American beauty. 
But all of a sudden, this dark curly hair came in, and that brought Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. That brought, you know, um, uh, I'm going to say the girl from Flashdance, um, Jennifer Beals. Um, and that also brought, um, oh, my gosh, it just brought the curly hair perms. It brought the whole style. So uh, I wrote a book about it because it was just so, you know, amazing. And I remember specifically um, Last American Virgin happened. And then, you know, it was later that I got better off dead. But, uh, you know, shockingly so. Um, you know, film affects uh, film affects our culture. You now, know? now, so because I mean, well, if you look at your body of work in the eighties, I mean, you did a lot of work, and you should have more name recognition than you do. But do mm-hmm. you have any animosity towards the people like Molly Ringwald or any of the other actors actresses of that time? That for some strange reason, when you think of a, an actor, actress of the 80s in mm-hmm. that age group, you think of yeah. them before they think of you. Well, I'm really glad you said that. Actually, uh, first of all, I didn't, I, I, I don't have any animosity about those girls. I think actually now, especially now, I, I kind of look every us all as sort of like a camaraderie, sort of like we were in a high school. Okay. <laughs> Maybe now the girls are like the popular girls. And I was just like the girl who was walking around and... It, I was kind of the word of mouth popular girl. I don't know. Um, but again, you know, back then when people became, you know, popular, they had publicists and, and who paid for those publicists, but the studios. And so I never had that. So I did independent films. So for me, like I always kind of stayed under the radar. And the idea was certainly at that time, you know, don't get your name out there too much because you want to, keep working and you want to you don't want people to know who you are you want them to know your work and so but like the goal was like not letting people know but on the other hand i would have loved to have done a studio film it wasn't until um, i think my most popular film was bill and ted's and that was sort of at the end of the 80s um and bill and ted's um that's where i got my commercial success okay but um yeah, but so now I'm kind of reaping the benefits of people rediscovering me because, and it's all sincere because it's based on my work as opposed to being like, you know, I was in this magazine or I did this, you know, modeling shoot, shoot or whatever. So I, I know my fans are pure and it's not because like, you know, it, I don't have that experience where people are going, she's got a famous name and that's why I want to work with her. Okay. I mean, now it's just kind of cool because people know my work and I and they go, you are awesome. <laughs> I go, oh, that's so great. Like, I know it's sincere. So, but it's a great question you asked because I didn't have the, you know, I think that that's what you're doing. Like you're scratching your head and going, wait a minute, why didn't we see more of you? Yeah. But I will say this. I, uh, I was between uh, myself and Elizabeth Barrage for Amadeus. Oh, really? And I think had I done that film, if I had done that and that, I write about in my book too. So, um, Cool. It's a great story. It's phenomenal. But had I gotten that film, I probably would have been a solid A-list actress. And if that had happened, my career would have taken a totally different turn. But I would never have probably done Better Off Dead. And I have right. to say, I, I'm glad I did better. I love Better Off Dead. It's one of my, I'm so proud of that role um, and the role modeling of it. So I'm happy the way it worked out. So whenever you, you were doing movies, were you, because I'm looking at your TV, um, the work that you did on TV, from Bay City mm-hmm. Blues to Deadly Lessons, The Insiders, Dallas, The Early Years, the episode of Charles in Charge, you were on Matlock, 
um, Alfred Hitchcock yeah. Presents, Encyclopedia Brown, which is a great program, uh, Murder, She Wrote, mm-hmm. Family Law, Providence, and, and, and some other ones, too. Did you look, did, were you thinking about maybe going into TV as your main career, or were you mainly focused on the movies? Okay, this, that's a, you know, you're asking great questions, Bill. You really are. Thank you. Um, no one's asked that. Um, so this is another moment in time. When I was 20, 19, I think 19 and a half, part, either 19 or 20, I got a pilot called Too Good to Be True. And it was sort of like uh, Annie in a, uh, Annie with like a Daddy Warbucks sort of a situation at a boarding school. Okay. Okay. And it was ABC. They they hired me. So this pilot um, was I was the lead girl in the pilot, and it was like girl school, but I was like the main the main girl. So if that pilot had gone, and it was very close to going, but if it had gone, I probably would have had a TV career because I would have stayed in. It would have been one of those things where my career would have had a really like wholesome kind of. You know, you, you see me every week and it would have been sort of that maybe Valerie Bertinelli-esque uh, character or I don't know what we compare with now, but um, well, that sort of person that you see every week. Was the you know? idea of the program somewhat like what the uh, TV program Facts of Life was about on NBC? Uh, kind of, kind of. Um, it was a, it was a, 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 I don't know, you know, that's interesting. Facts of Life was a little bit more um it, it's just like not as um i guess upper class you know stiff uh boarding school-esque thing and okay also in fact this one was a little bit more highbrow but it also had it, the story was about i think like three or four guys who also had to go to the girls prep school like they were in they were forced to go to school in the girls prep school and so it was kind of dealing with i don't know social i don't even know how they did that the social acceptance or if it was just like they these guys were stuck in it or but it was the the shenanigans that went on with it gotcha but yeah i would have i would have had a tv career and i was very happy to be able to do episodes of like for instance a sitcom like charles in charge uh to have that experience because it would have been like a sitcom experience um, and I always, you know, to this day, actually, I would love to be on a show. Like, I haven't been, I was a regular on a couple of series, um, but only for like six months. But I think that if I had a, a bucket list wish, it would probably be to be on a show now. So, like, get on a show, whether it be sci fi or, or um, you know, uh, a sitcom or so, you know, or a drama, you know, that would probably be my bucket list wish to be on a show. Because I find it yeah. interesting, because you do have a very nice um, list of programs that you were on, that I'm surprised only one, there was only one pilot made for you and there weren't more. Because you mm-hmm. you can do the comedic side, you can also do the um, the drama side, because again, you said you were on the soap opera, and then you can yeah. also do the horror sci-fi, because you have that in your background too. Mm-hmm. I have a very wide range of genres I can do because, um, you know, to me, that's what acting is. I, I mean, I again, also, I've always been attracted to interesting characters. And maybe that's been a fault in my in my career. I'm sure that agents, you know, if I, my agents were would have been more like, you know, you have to. A lot of times agents, what they do, a good agent is 
sort of they they look at projects and they kind of say, okay, this is the kind of direction you're going to go in, and so we're going to say no to these projects and no to those projects. But my feeling was always, I really, if, if I love the role and the character, uh, I wanted to do it. So, like, I did a movie called Terror Vision, and I play this punk rocker, um, Valley Girl. Yeah. And if you look at me, you would never hire me as a punk rocker Valley Girl. It would just not be happening. But I got this opportunity, and boy, I had a blast playing this character. I loved it. And again, it's one of those things you're watching. It's sort of like um, I, it, I played it as a. It's like over the top. It's sort of a like coming to life cartoon character. But you would not normally have hired me in that. So uh, I've had. I think what's just been fun is that when people look at my work, that it's just enjoyable to see. Like you just never know what to expect. It's a surprise. Did you? So I, I enjoy that. I hope people do. <laughs> do you like working on independent films compared to studio films? Ah, uh, well, yes. Well, I mean, studio films are great because obviously they pay well, and you're treated really well because they have the money to have the higher standards, you know. Right. Um, and then, of course, you're working with directors that maybe you wouldn't get a chance to you know it, it's just a it's a great environment for an actor to work on something that is with a studio it's just a great feeling and an, an environment but there's so much creativity that goes in with an independent filmmaker and there's a lot more freedom so like for instance i actually just did a, a job was it yesterday i think it was yesterday i actually did a part in a in a uh an indie film and a, just a small part, but I went in and we just worked on, you know, we just like did these scenes and we were just playing back and forth with trying to get them to the height of what the scene could be. And you don't have that time when you're working with, um, you know, when you're, when you're on the clock with a, you know, studio film, you just don't have that extra time unless the director is somebody who is, who's got the power perhaps to, to okay. make that happen. But boy, it's so creative. It's just really fun to do independent films. Well, that's great. You're listening to Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM McKeesport, 107.5 FM WLDJ Newcastle, 1620 AM Huntington Community Radio, Mixtape Radio International, Awakens.eu, Steel FM at steelfm.org, 99.1 FM Radio Rehoboth, Rehoboth, Delaware, Orca Radio at orcaradio.coffeecup.com, Owensburg, Kentucky, Parkway 106, Pittsburgh, PA, and of course, streaming online at italknet.com. Um, so I'm looking at the movies that you have coming up, and the the one here I think is really interesting, and it says, coming in 2021, Clay Zombies, Walking Nightmare and Secret <laughs> Film Project. <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> okay, right? That's what I said. I am sorry, but the name Clay Zombies, I'm already there. Okay. I have to see it. Um, I have a wide range of films I enjoy and like to be in. Um, I like highbrow films. I've done them, but I also love the films that are just goofy or fun or, you know, B-movies. I just love watching them. And, I mean, I remember growing up and watching The Blob. I love yes. The Blob. I don't know if anyone knows that. Or The Invisible Man. Or, you know, just, I mean, those films, there were so many great B-films that you just, now they're just, they're just classic. So, what happened was, this is a lovely story. Um, a director contacted me, and he was a big fan of my work. And he said, "I have a, I have this movie. I would like to know if you'd like to be in it called Clay Zombies." And 
again, from the title, I was like, oh my gosh, please send me the script. I have to see this. So he sent me the script. I loved it. And I said, yes, I will be in this film. So there's a, it's going to be a very cool um, film because because it was done during it was early pandemic okay and you know there was no way i, I could you know go and travel do to do it uh, but because you know obviously no so i said to him you know and i had been actually doing filming uh, some things on my own and i said do you would you like me to i had to play as somebody on tv so he said oh my gosh if you could film it and send it to me that would be amazing so I have, I mean, not all actors have the experience of knowing what to do and knowing how to work from at, a, at a distance and also how to film and light and, and all that. So I made it happen for him and he went completely crazy. And so we, I actually did, we actually, you know, he, he had this film pretty much in the, in the can and we added my scenes to it. So, um, I think it's going to be hilarious. And the character also I'm playing, you have never seen me play this character. So that's why I'm really excited. <laughs> so in other words, you're, you're saying that you were never really on a set. You actually did this yourself right. and sent it to him. That's amazing. Yep. It is, especially because I have never done this before. And with all the technology that we have today, I was able to. Uh-huh. I mean, this is something you just, you can't, in the 80s, I'd never no, be able to do that. Not at all. That, if we had the pandemic in the eighties, I wouldn't even be talking to you. <laughs> no, that's very that's very true um, because we wouldn't have the technology that we have today to be able to do this. Communication skills. Oh my God! To send. I mean, it's we are very lucky to be able to have the internet and to have Zoom during this pandemic. I mean, now you have another one uh, listed here called Waking Nightmare. Yes. Okay, Waking Nightmare, the, the thing that I love about the films that are going to come out are no one has ever seen me act in these roles that are coming up like I am going to. Okay. All these films I'm doing, they'll never see me. And that is such an exciting part of my work right now that I remember being a little kid thinking, I want to be an actress because I'll be able to act my entire life. And now I'm doing it. And that is shocking and beautiful and i hope i can be a role model to other actors and actresses you know that can look at me and go oh you know i want to do that maybe i went up that age i want to be acting and yeah the roles are here so i am playing um uh, that film i shot in 2017 and it was a long time ago but they have been trying to um i guess it's been hard to book the them getting you know you have to have a lot of funding yes it's an independent film so a lot of times they don't have the funding to do the lighting or the color, I mean, the color correction or the sound. So they have been working on it. The director promised me that it's coming out this, you know, next year. Mm. Um, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed. But also, this is a role you've never seen me in. And, and the story of Waking Nightmare is about, um, I play a mother and my husband is Jamison Newlander. He was in um, uh, Lost Boys. Oh, okay. And we have a daughter. Oh, yeah, good. And and we have a daughter. Her name is uh, Shelley Regner, and she it was in all the Pitch Perfect movies. Uh, and okay, I know who she, she is. She played yeah. one of the mm-hmm. She's got dark hair. Yes. So she played my daughter, and basically the idea is that my daughter has been committing murders in her sleep. <laughs> oh, interesting. So how does yeah, that, you know, as a parent to that, that's been, like, that was, like, heavy duty. So... Um, so it's a fascinating script and very exciting. So that's another film 
that's supposed to that you'll see next year now, really really that's classic horror I think. now there's another one listed here as a secret film project is that the title of the film or is there a secret film project there's a secret film project <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret and it is going to blow everyone away i am so excited first of all it's going to be a it's a very big film it's an independent film but it's it's a big subject matter, so it's really okay. big. It's going to be really big. Uh, people are, have been are going to be familiar with it, and then there's some wonderful surprises and great stories. So we're going to have to talk about that another time. Oh, I'd love to. But know that. Oh my gosh, it's supposed to come out. It's supposed to be like you know maybe January, February, something like that. Okay. But um, I am so excited. I mean, what a gift this film was in my life. I thought. I must be must have done something right so that I can have these great experiences. So, so you, you, you know, you, get ready. <laughs> you were saying about uh, younger people coming to you now. Just to let you know, on my side personally, my son is going to mm -hmm. school for theater and acting, and his whole great. world has been turned on edge because of the pandemic. That he's not having classes face to face. Everything is done online. The productions that he was in, yeah. they were rehearsing for six to eight weeks. They canceled it um, a month before the show was supposed to open, and all this stuff. Aww. And these people that are in this line of work, especially in the be the uh, beginning of the pandemic, their whole world was mm -hmm. turned on end, and they don't know if yeah. they're going to have a career to even start with because they don't know how that's going to play out if we ever do get over this or have, when we get over it or how it's going to work. I have great advice. First of all, by the way, I also teach acting. Oh, really? And I teach kids. Yep, I do. And I've been actually doing it for like 15 years. Um, I actually am credentialed to teach drama. Um, and so, and the reason why I did that was because I wanted to take what I knew as an actress and bring it to the next generation. Full circle. So, um, and this is a perfect example. Uh, what do you do during the pandemic if you're an actor or singer or dancer? This, when you have time off and you are home, this is golden time for the actor and the artist and the dancer. Because this is the time where you do your research and you fill the cup. So your son should be going online, or could be, not should. But if this is, tell him, like... He could start learning a dialect mm -hmm. online. He could start studying. Um, he could start uh, memorizing monologues um, and have a classic monologue and a, a, a comedy uh, one-minute monologues in his pocket. You know, memorize, work on them so that, you know, the actor can have all these things in their pocket so that they can um, bring it out when they need to. And usually, you know, you never have enough time. So um, he could be studying what it's like. Um, there's a thing called... Um, uh, when you're acting, there's it calls impediments and meaning like you do a you're acting, but maybe you are playing someone who has um, uh, they're blind or they have okay. a, uh, some disability or something. Now, frankly, yes, people do get cast now in the entertainment business. They'll go for people who really have the disabilities or the the you know problems, which is actually brilliant like i am backing that but if you're on stage or perhaps you have to play a part like this you're or maybe for instance someone who's alcoholic or someone you're not going to hire an alcoholic to play an alcoholic right but, you know if you're going through some kind of a, a thing actors need to know how to play that and so 
all that research that has to be done can be done during the pandemic. Um, singers, you know, you can be writing music and composing and, you know, write, take the chance, you know, explore, expand, take risks at this time. You have nothing to lose. It is a, uh, you know, if you're a writer, write a screenplay, write, write uh, poetry and stop judging yourself. And you can do this at any age. I mean, that's the feeling I, I look at people and I go, why did you ever believe somebody else when they told you you couldn't do that? Mm-hmm. What you know, you why do we believe other people when you want to do that? Right. And this is the time to take advantage of that. So for all those creative people out there, if you've ever wanted to do something in your life, this is the time to spend going into your passion. And it won't be debilitating or or difficult if that's what you love to do. So there you go. That's my the university he's he's at (laughs) the university that he's at. um, They are actually Mm -hmm. doing a uh, a play or a musical this fall, but it's all going to be virtual, Mm -hmm. which is going to be very interesting. And he's doing the rehearsing for it right now. So it's uh, yeah. Um, now, and it's another skill too. You're looking at the camera. You have to emit your emotion, right. but you're looking at a piece of equipment. You know, mm-hmm. um, that is a skill that that you know what? It's not lost because don't kid yourself. When this pandemic is over, that doesn't mean everyone's turning their computer off. Right? People might just say, you know what? I want to stay online, um, or maybe they do enjoy. Maybe people will enjoy, you know, the pandemic shows, and they don't want to leave their house. Maybe they do just want to watch it. You know, you know, online. So it's a skill that they're investing in themselves. So, so but it is interesting. Have you yeah. seen these um the and and I think de- better off dead would be a great one to do is these table reads mm-hmm. where they bring cast and characters in that may have not have been in the film yeah. and they're having them read it <gasps> and act it out and um some you of them, the ha- who <laughs> some of them have just That's been so amazing funny. that that they're able to recreate them. And um, I was just have curious you if you guys, I uh, yes, I did. Um, um, Which one did you see? Do you? They did the one. Times? They did one for. I saw. I saw part of Fast Times. I didn't see all of it. I saw Back to the Future when they did it, and. Um, uh, there was, was it great? There, yeah, they were wonderful. There was one more that I saw. Why is it escaping me? Because um, it had uh, have... Peter Falk, Mandy Patinkin, Andre okay. the Giant. Uh, it's the fairy tale. I can't think of the wow. name of it. Um, what's the name of the film? Um, and it had the kids from the. Think, yeah. It had the kid from the Wonder Years in it too. The original. Um, Fred Savage. Mm-hmm. Was in the was in Savage, the yes. was in the movie, and it was a grandfather tearing the fairy tale. I can't think of the name of the film. I can give you the whole plot uh, line. It'll be. Um, <laughs> but uh, it 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 was uh, it was very you well it? done. It oh, great. it was wonderful. And uh, what was nice about it was is that not only did they do it, but it was the last work that Carl Reiner did, and he was working with his son Mike. Um, or Rob oh. Reiner, and why can't I? Yeah, uh, Princess Bride. That's it. I knew I'd think of it. Oh, and they right. did it, and and the Carl Reiner did it right before he passed away, almost like three or four days beforehand, and it wasn't edited together. And Rob Reiner didn't see it because Rob Reiner was playing the little boy, 
His dad was playing oh, the grandfather, my. and they put it together. It was heartbreaking when you realized what happened, but it was very well oh. done, and it was it, it's something that I could see, like your movie and multiple mm-hmm. multiple movies that they could actually redo table reads, and do it, and that would be kind of fun to watch again. You know, that's a great idea. Maybe when um, that's interesting. Maybe when uh, I my book comes out, which I'm trying to maybe. Do I would it's definitely coming out next year, but maybe that's a great thing to do as a sort of a, a way to like have people get excited about the film again too. You know that way, so that's a good idea. I I I know that um, Amanda Wiss would do it. Um, Curtis probably would do it. I don't know if Kim Darby would. We actually did do a table read at um, Sketchfest, and um, my gosh, wait, who we did it. At Sketchfest, Kim Darby was there, the director, Savage Steve Holland, Curtis Armstrong, um, and now Blaine um, was played by, who was the guy in uh, Napoleon Dynamite? Um, what was his name? The one that played Napoleon? Uh, Napoleon, uh, yeah. yeah um, oh, right? We're sitting here going, oh. And now the audience is all saying the name right now. The audience go, it's blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, my goodness. I'll find it. Just give me a second. It was. But he he did he played Lane. So I actually. Oh, that would him. be re- John Heater. John Header. Header. That's John it. Header. Heater. Header. Header. And um, John and he was a huge fan of Better Off Dead, so he was happy to be acting with me, which I was like, "What is happening?" So I'm I'm like a huge I was like a huge fan of Napoleon Dynamite, so I was like, "Oh, you worked with Jonathan Grice, and I had worked with him on on Terrorvision." And, he played Uncle uh, Rico and um, in in Napoleon Dynamite. But anyway, well, great idea. And what's interesting? I would bring it up with them and see. What's interesting about Napoleon Dynamite? Because when I watch that, it does have the same feeling as Better Off Dead. Mm. It does. It, I agree. It. I mean, they could be two great companion pieces that you have to see one before you see it, but you can see there's a connection between the two characters. Yes. I agree. There, um, you know, Napoleon Dynamite. That he, it was. It, there was an absurdist part of it, and there was dry humor. Yes. And yet there was, and then the, and then the lead character is empathetic. You know, mm-hmm. that very you know, kind of subtle acting that John did with you know as well as John Heder um, was really wonderful. So, I was I was so happy to work with him and do this you know this table read. Uh, we did it in a big theater there in, in San Francisco. Um, and this was like, you know, maybe 2016 or so. Um, but uh, but this is a very good idea. We hope <laughs> that I can get the rest of the cast to do this. Come on. Kick your ass. When I was looking up stuff, and again, I, I don't realize how old I am until I start talking about my age. I still I'm see myself <laughs> in my That's 20s. Good. But... There was a 30-year anniversary in 2015 for the movie. Yes. Um, and I and yes. again, it's now it's what 2015. 35. That's five year, 25 years. Um, yeah. Yes, in 30 in that time also, I got the paperboy to come. You know, the paperboy, <laughs> uh, Damien. I want my two dollars. Yes. Damien Slade. I. Found him and I said, Damien, we are doing a 30th anniversary of Better Off Dead. You have to come to the Q and A. And he was like, Who's going to remember me? Nobody's going to remember me. And I went, Damien, 
you have no idea. <laughs> and when he went to this 30th anniversary thing, he was so blown away that people were so excited to meet him and that he was iconic. He had he couldn't believe it. He was in shock. He said, no. And then now he gets it. But it took him a long time to realize how popular he was and right. beloved he was in that film. Yeah, it, it it is. Again, it's one of those films that um, if you grew up with it, you can really appreciate it now. But if you have kids and show it to them, they can appreciate it, oh. too, because we can all relate to it. I mean, we've all in some way, shape or form, we have been in those situations. And the the, yeah. the one thing I still think is hilarious is when you were with you, you were the foreign exchange student living with Ricky and his mother. And it's like, that is the most uncomfortable situation, especially Christmas morning when you receive the photo of Ricky and you go outside and just bust out laughing. I mean, that, 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 that just makes it that much better because we've all received gifts that we don't know how to respond to in some way, shape or form. But the one thing I want to ask you about the movie, do you classify it Mm -hmm. as a Christmas film because it is... Christmas is incorporated in the movie. Ah, uh, that's a great question. I, it took, it, it was, it's funny. First, I felt like it was just a comedy. Then what happened was people started playing it. Now, this is interesting. At, uh, people started playing it at Christmas. Yes. And so I found out it actually became a beloved Christmas film that people would bring out every year. And especially because they're skiing in it, too. Yes. I, I a lot of people were like, oh, I, you know, I, I say, you know, all the lines of dialogue when I'm skiing. And that was a very cool thing. So then I was like, oh, what a nice thing. I mean, I remember growing up uh, watching things every year. And now it's become something, a tradition that other people watch every year. And I, I just love that. Um, but then what's happening is it also becomes popular on Valentine's Day because it's a love story. Okay, yeah. So that so that's kind of funny too. So it's actually uh, one of the reasons why it's, it's it's beloved I think is because it sort of covers a lot of ground and um I mean and then of course it takes place in um I mean we did the skiing in Utah, but um yeah, people watching it on Valentine's Day too, which is very sweet. So it's funny, but people, I mean, they watch it all year round, too. But um, I would say, yes, I see it as a Christmas movie. Okay. Because that's yeah. the, that's the yeah. one thing I've always wondered about. The other thing I want to ask you is, and, and I, I, in some ways, I could have seen them making a sequel to the film. Because mm-hmm. what happened between Monique and Lance? Did the relationship still continue? Lane. Lane. Or Lane, I'm sorry. Lane Meyer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote down Lane and I'm reading it as Lance. Um, but with Lane, <laughs> with Lane, um, did the relationship continue? I mean, in your mind, do you think it continued or did she go back to France and it just ended? Okay. This is a great question. And, um, well, first of all, I just want you to know that in after we did Better Off Dead, Savage Steve Holland, who, by the way, is called Savage. That was his nickname. Uh, he's not Savage at all. He's like the sweetest, cutest <laughs> guy, nicest guy. He's very mild and like, hi. You know, like he, he was like beloved by the crew. They would be like, he'd be like, are you okay? Do you need coffee? Like, I mean, he was just so, he was like the opposite in the, in the sense of a director. Very, very sweet. Um, and 
when we finished the film, he did a movie called One Crazy Summer. Yes. And what he did was, actually, at the end of that film, I did a cameo, which was, it was with John Cusack also, but I was supposedly, the last scene of the film was me walking by, waving to John Cusack. And it was supposed to be a little nod to all the people who watch Better Off Dead. But they they had to cut it for time. Aww. They couldn't put it in the film. And Savage was so disappointed to this day. He's like, I wish that I was able to keep that in. Because that was, again, like, yeah, whatever happens to Lane and Monique. Mm. Um, so that was the first piece. But if I have often thought, like, oh, my, I actually, seriously, I just ran into John about a year ago and at a convention. And I said, John, we should do a sequel and I mean another whether it be a sequel we should do another film together uh-huh. where we're working together as adults because the audience I think that would oh, be just love so it. sweet right you yeah. know, I, I, I don't know if I can you know if I'm able to convince him but boy wouldn't that be lovely um, and I think Monique would absolutely somebody someone said this to me they said Monique and Lane would be married and we'd have kids and but we'd be and we'd live at a ski resort um, but then the person who owned the land would be Ricky. And so, <laughs> so, so he would make things difficult for us. Right. Um, and trying to win me back or whatever. So it was kind of awesome. I thought, oh, I could see that. Um, but yes, and we would, I think, you know, I would be uh, giving French lessons to our children and um, we'd be living in the mountains and, and uh, Lane would be trying to teach the kids how to ski, but he, he still wouldn't be able to ski the K-12. The kids would bomb down it. They'd, they'd, Gee, great, he'd still be falling down. So, so that's what I think. <laughs> what, thinking about it, do you actually speak French, or was it um, a, a, an accent that you created for the film? I speak a little bit of French, thanks to taking French in school. Hello. Talk about, uh, you know, working and your craft. Um, right. Yes, I took French in school, um, uh, but I loved languages. So, actually, I was the one who put the French dialogue in the, in the script. There was no French in the script. Oh, really? And so, you know, I said, mon Dieu, you know, uh, je suis terriblement désolé, you know, like I, I think what I've said. Um, or, comment allez-vous? I think maybe, comment allez-vous was perhaps the only words that were in the script. But all the other French I came up with because I knew that, like, when you're French, or like you come from another country, when you're upset or emotional, you don't, you speak in your own language. Right. You know, like, you're just so... <laughs> Because you can say whatever you want in your own language. So, um, yeah, so I did. Uh, I do speak a little bit of French. And, um, yeah, I, it, and I speak a little bit of everything, a little, just just enough to get me, you know, coffee and <laughs> So, because I, I wondered this whenever I heard it, if anybody that, if you ever talked to anybody from France who actually commended you on how you sounded or maybe criticized you, for how you sounded, or they oh. just accepted because it was a movie? Um, that's a great question. Okay, so here's, here's the answer to that. Um, first of all, when you do a dialect from, when you do a dialect for a film, if you do it, sometimes obviously, if you do it too perfectly, it's very difficult to understand. So when I'm doing a dialect, I'm always trying to make it um, a, a more... You know, you look at the tone of the film, and then you have to sort of pull it in so it is more of the the tone of the film and not so, not hard to understand. You don't want to struggle as an audience to understand what the person is saying. So deliberately, when I'm doing dialects, I make sure that 
you know, people can understand what I'm saying. Um, what's interesting about that is, like, I'll have, like, a critic, you know, I'm not trying to do someone's life, so I'm not playing someone who actually sounded like that specifically. If I did, then, yeah, you have to, you know, you have to make it as authentic as you can. Okay. But originally... Um, the I had a critic who was like, you know, she doesn't. She sounds like as as French as Howard Cosell. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh really? Come on, come on. That's like really you. You try it, lady. You know. Um, but um, but then on the other side of the spectrum, I've people. I mean, most people have come to me and said to me, I thought you were French. Like, I can't believe you're not speaking oh, with wow. a French accent right now. So I'm my my audience, as always, you know, the audience members are kinder. You know, but they're not they're not being paid to be critical. So right. um, they or they're more believing in just the story. So I've actually had a lot of people who really thought I was French. Now, you know, and, and people who were like real actors, too. Like, they, I, I, you know, not just regular people, but actors as well. So, oh, I thought you were French. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not sure I am, but they do a very good American accent. I'm French, but they speak good American. <laughs> so it's hard to believe we've been talking for almost an hour already and it's flown by very fast. Oh um, but I have Sorry one. Sorry about that. Oh, no, thank you very much. You made my job easy tonight. Um, one question I have before I let you go, because you were in cult films in the 80s. What did your kids think about it when they saw them? Well, that's really good. Um, I remember my son, who was really cute, he saw Better Off Dead and when he was when i showed that was the first film i showed them and the only reason i actually showed better after they really didn't know i was famous or okay actress, until maybe they were 10 they had no idea but what was happening was people started recognizing me on the street and like i'd be at a restaurant some people would come over so they started going oh why why are these people talking to us mommy what's happening he they really didn't have any idea until they were about 10 and that's when I said, oh, you know, I have a movie I think you should see because we're, we were skiing. And so I showed my kids Better Off Dead because I said, oh, the skiing in this is really, really cool. Like this movie, totally ignoring the fact that I was in it, just right. loving the film. And so I, I went skiing with my son. And then afterwards, he was like, I'm, I'm like, OK, Nick, I'm going to go down this hill. And, you know, are you going to follow me? He said, oh, no, Mom, I'm going to go this way really fast. And if something gets in your, my way, I'm going to turn. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, whoa, that was such a cute moment in my life of my career, my acting, you know, coming with my family. Um, so, yeah, they, they, it wasn't until like later um, that they, they started to, oh, that's why people are coming up to us, right. you know, in the mall and, and saying, you know, I love you or I know you or like, <laughs> oh, I saw you in that. So it's like, mom, why are they saying that to you? Um so, yeah, and they are, uh, I think they, they enjoy it because I think, I mean, they were raised with embracing creativity. And uh -huh. so I always put them first. So my career is amazing, but they come first. So I think that's the way they always felt like it was fun, but not com competing with it. Does that make sense? Yes. Diane, it has yeah. been a pleasure. I would love to do this again. Um, again, Good. it's flown by so quickly. You are a joy to talk to on the phone and I thank you very much for oh. joining me. You are most welcome and, uh, you are most excellent. <laughs> and I hope everyone has the most excellent, uh, rest of the evening. Um, 
and go watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures for another adventure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and social media. If you want to catch up with me, uh, I'm on Instagram at actress Diane Franklin and Twitter, uh, 80, uh, Diane Franklin 80. And I'm on Facebook too. Um, just go to Diane Franklin official fan group. And that's me. You could keep up with me. Well, Diane, thank you very much. I look forward to talking to you again in the future. And uh, again, it was a pleasure. And, and, and I, I, a childhood, I shouldn't say childhood, but a young adult dream has come true. So thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you, uh, Bill. It was a pleasure. Pleasure being on the show. So au revoir, French fries, and French bread. <laughs> and French right? dressing, don't forget. French dressing and Thank you very much. You have a great night. All right. Bye-bye. Diane Franklin here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. That's going to wrap up tonight's program. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.